and welcome to the Auto Movie Podcast. I'm Chris Ratcliffe and I'm with Martin Spain and in this show we discuss cars and films and generally geek out about all things automotive in movies and TV. In honour of the new Fast and the Furious Calvin and Hobbes or whatever it's called, later we're going to be comparing two of our favourite of the Fast and Furious franchise. But first, in Netflix news, what have they announced recently, Marty? Drive to Survive Season 2. This is Netflix. Um, F1 documentary. The first season came out earlier this year, just ahead of the start of the 2019 F1 season. Uh, was very well received. It's a great intro to Formula One if you are not a fan. And if you are a fan, they've got amazing access to all of the teams, which gives you a whole bunch of behind the scenes feel and gives you an insight into a bunch of characters that aren't necessarily revealed on the you know fortnightly broadcasts of races, uh, especially people like Gunter Steiner from Haas, who is a sweary legend. Um, and <laughs> it's it was really, really enjoyable. I binged the whole thing in a day, I think. Um, I'm thrilled to hear that they've renewed it and they're going to do a season two. They're in the midst of filming it now in the current season of F1. Um, most excitingly, they have Ferrari and Mercedes taking part in this season. Mm. They didn't take part in season one because they thought it might be a distraction to their title battle. Um, they have allowed Netflix access for one race apiece. Uh, so you don't get them throughout the season, but they have said one race you can come and film us. And most interestingly, Mercedes's race that we, they were being filmed was the race just past at Hockenheim, which, spoiler alert, did not go very well. Ooh, not good. Not good at all. Uh, no word on when this is going to be out, but I imagine it will be much like this year. It will be released all in one go, all of the episodes on Netflix ahead of the 2020 Formula One season. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. I'm, I couldn't agree more. I think it will be interesting to see if it's as candid as the first series. The film crew had a real knack to get people on mic saying things that they possibly shouldn't. So it'd be interesting to see if now that people know what it's actually going to look like, whether a little bit more guarded or even oh, do they become a bit more flamboyant and outgoing. It'll be interesting to uh, to see, but I'm really looking forward to it. In other Netflix news, I saw an article on Autoblog this week that caught my eye for a new series called Hyperdrive. Now, see if you can tell at what point this gets my interest. So, the Netflix synopsis begins... Elite street racers from around the world test their limits in supercharged custom cars, okay, on the biggest, baddest automotive obstacle course ever built. And one of the exec producers told Entertainment Weekly, it's, a, it's like Ninja Warrior meets Fast and the Furious. So, there's a 100-acre proving ground in New York, uh, up in upstate New York, where they've basically gone around the world, they've found all of these people who build cars and drive cars and what have you, and they're going to just do these bizarre obstacle courses in all sorts of souped-up, super-fast cars. Um, according to, again, according to Autoblog, the modified homebrew machinery, I'm quoting here, we spied it was a first-gen Mustang, a second-gen Chevy Camaro, what looks like an E93 BMW M3, which I'm guessing E93. That would be the saloon? I thought that was E92. E93 would have been 
Uh, I don't know. Uh, and a 1969 Dodge Charger that Dominic Toretto could have driven to the set. And amongst the commentary team, most of whom I've never heard of, and one of whom is an MMA fighter, go figure, is Rutledge Wood from Top Gear USA. So the flannel legend is back on our TVs, and this just sounds fantastically bonkers. And it could either be absolutely brilliant or like extreme wipeout terrible i was wondering whether this sounded like you know extreme wipeout but with cars potentially yes which i mean god bless netflix for just going after something utterly utterly bonkers because i don't think anybody else could or would have commissioned this so yeah let's see i'm gonna watch it i'm i was sold when you said elite street raters i you know i quite happily watch that stuff all 10 episodes, again, according to Autoblog, will be loaded on August the 21st, and each one's about 45 to 50 minutes. So, question is, will it come to the UK? I don't know, but if not, we'll, we'll be firing up our VPNs, I'm sure, for the uh, for the US catalogue. Also in car movie news, the nominees for the 2019 International Motor Film Awards have been announced, and there's... 60 films here spanning the genre from everything from Baby Driver, Taxi 5, Mission Impossible, through to student films, to creative films, to journalism films. There's a lot of stuff here that I haven't seen and I strongly recommend. If you like your car films, go to motorfilmawards.com. We'll put the link in the show notes and just look through some of these. It's worth, I think, actually... um, looking through some of the nominees particularly in the journalism category i mean you've got uh, henry catchpole both for his chiron film his mclaren senna film and his uh, hurricane performante spider film but then you've also got um steve sutcliffe for evo driving the 4gt to the arctic circle and the grand tour detroit muscle power film which i thought was an interesting one of theirs to choose. Which one would you but, choose uh, from that from that lineup? Which would you choose as your winner? Ooh, as a film, I will be honest. I mean, this in this podcast we are unashamed Henry Catchpole fans. True, and I would, I would say Sheeran Senna, Sheeran Senna. I would say Senna. I think the Senna film was the better single you know, standalone piece. I think I'm, a, I'm with you there. I remember the Steve Sutcliffe uh, Evo Vord GT piece. I seem to remember the uh, liking the photography in the mag more than I liked the film. Interesting. I don't know whether or not that... I think that's possibly because Evo have wound down their filmmaking budget uh, and so they don't tend to put as much time into it because they just don't have the money mm. and they don't produce that many films now mm. so it felt like a bit of an outlier that popped up from nowhere um, true yeah I it, my, my one would go to Catchpole's Senna film not just because it's a wonderful idea that's brilliantly executed but also the time constraints of doing it mm. um, they did a behind the scenes thing they shot the whole thing in about an hour as far as I can tell it's just brilliantly done it really was and it's like I say it's worth looking through the list of nominees just to see new content that certainly hadn't crossed my social media feeds or hadn't popped up in my recommendations so 
go have a look. There's some more categories to be announced nearer the nearer the night, and certainly when it comes to the awards themselves, we'll be uh, we'll be highlighting the winners here. I'm going to have to go and watch some of those now. That sounds interesting. It's 60 films have already been announced, and it is just a rabbit hole to fall down. You could lose a weekend quite easily. All right, maybe I'm not going to watch all 60. I, I will watch some. <laughs> and there was me thinking you were the completest to make sure you had a an educated opinion on every category. But I don't have that much time. <laughs> there's also tickets available if you fancy pulling on a dinner jacket and uh, going living it up in London somewhere. I thought these things were invite only. No, I don't think that's for me. <laughs> I will I will main a, a, a commenter from the sidelines. Yes, yeah, so that's motorfilmawards.com. Like I say, we'll be putting the link for that in the show notes. Well worth a look if you fancy some inspiration for some new and different content you probably haven't seen before. So, moving on to our main films for this episode with the release of it's not not uh, what's it called? Not uh, Calvin and Hobbes. Hobbs and Shaw. Hobbs and Shaw. Um, I will admit that I haven't seen the. I've kind of kept up with the latest films, which is good, because we are both going back into the Fast and Furious legacy to pick out our favourites. So, Marty, which one did you pick? Well, I would have chosen Tokyo Drift, but unfortunately, you got there first. <laughs> so I've been forced to take my second pick, which is Fast and Furious 5 or Fast 5 or Fast 5 Rio Heist, depending on which territory you saw it in. Um, most people just call it Fast 5. Uh, this is a seminal movie in the Fast and the Furious series because this is the movie where they stopped making it about the cars and street races and they went unashamedly daft huge action fist fights um, mad explosions and car chases rather than street races um, it's also notable because it's the first movie that widened out and included everybody's favourite man mountain Dwayne The Rock Johnson uh, I think he was just going by Dwayne Johnson at this point but he is parachuted into Fast Five as the nominal bad guy he's chasing down Dominic Toretto and his team and he is a breath of fresh air in a franchise that was starting to get a little bit stale uh, I have watched all of these movies unlike Crisp I am dedicated to the cause <laughs> but I have only watched the later ones once or twice I've probably watched Fast Five ten times it's very very entertaining um However, when I went back to look this up, there's actually a lot of plot going on here. I'm not going to summarise it all, um, but Dominic and Paul Walker's character, Brian, that's his name, get into some kind of scrape with Brazilian drug dealers and they have to get themselves out of it first by stealing some cars and then by doing a massive heist. Uh, and they get the gang back together, only they bring in favourites from all of the Fast and Furious movies from earlier in the day so you've got some from the original Fast and Furious they bring back Vince no one liked Vince in the first one no. he was this creepy guy that perved over Dominic's sister Mia um, I think he disappeared uh, for the rest of the time and they brought him back he's not very good here he's still rubbish but they did bring <laughs> back Han from Tokyo Drift everybody's favourite character in the Fast and Furious movies yep. justice for Han um, <laughs> 
that's the thing I want Han back anyway spoiler alert Han dies everyone's seen these movies by now but you know uh, they bring back Han they bring back Gal Gadot's character from Fast and Furious 4 only they make her a good guy instead of a bad guy um, they bring back uh, Ludacris from Fast and Furious 2 uh, and he's surprisingly entertaining. He's really good. His character has less hair than he did in Fast and Furious 2, or Too Fast, Too Furious, if you're being technically accurate. Uh, and they... Who else do they bring back? Um, who's the mouthy guy from Fast and Furious 2? Oh, the- Roman Roman Pierce, Tyrese Gibson. That's yes, the- he, he's back. And he's pressed into great use as just motormouth comic relief. He's really, really funny in this... Um, relentlessly undermined by everybody else but he does provide a bunch of the 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 big laughs of it one of the things i noticed about this as i was re-watching it this is the first fast and the furious movie to drop an f-bomb oh yep it's the honor of Dwayne the rock johnson i'm going to call him that all the time even though it's not really (laughs) his name anymore he gets to drop the first f-bomb in the fast and furious franchise and it's very appropriate because he's being this hyper macho incredibly competent bounty hunter guy and and he is very much like get the f out of my way uh, i remember watching this in the center thinking wow i didn't think this is that kind of franchise but they've amped everything up and it makes it hugely entertaining this is probably one of the most accessible fast and furious movie i remember when it came out the reviews from outlets like empire and some of the other more populist magazines were far more positive on this movie than they had been on the other ones because it had stopped being about cars it had kind of mm. stopped being nerdy petrol heady type thing and just gone for sheer gung-ho action and the relentless silliness of it and the the giant action sequences just made it hugely entertaining and set the scene for fast and furious to go and be the billion dollar franchise that it now is and you'd never have said that when you watched the fast and the furious point break remake that we had way back when so what are the cars in this one is this was this one that had the ford escort in it no that was a fast six this has a bunch of dodge chargers in the main chase sequence at the end but there are the usual kind of dominic's massive drag racing american yank muscle thing i don't want to name what it is i don't know i also don't care (laughs) So if you are a huge American muscle fan, please you know hit me up on Twitter and tell me what an idiot I am. It's the standard Dodge Charger with the engine hanging out the front, never seen a set of daylights. It's black. <laughs> it makes a chuggy chuggy noise. Apparently it's quite fast. But hey, um, one thing I do want to highlight is the car that jumps out for me is they go for a sort of token street racing scene it feels very much like well fast and furious started to be about street racing so we're just going to drop a street racing scene in the middle of this kind of heist epic and there is a porsche 996 911 in there which is supposed to be a gt3 rs but if you're a porsche nerd and <laughs> i am a porsche nerd we are. you will notice where we are yes you will notice it has the infamous fried egg headlamps which were only ever on the mark one 996 i really am you're starting to become a porsche nerd here it's got the wrong headlights starting. they never did a <laughs> yeah they never did a gt3 rs for the mark one 996 so it's wrong already it's got an aftermarket wing on it it's got aftermarket bbs fake alloys on it they seem to have overdubbed some turbo whistle onto the engine note Uh, it 
as a super car, as a hyper car nerd, it bothers me that that is so inaccurate. But I appreciate that I am probably one of five people who spotted this in the movie. <laughs> and it doesn't detract from it at all. But it's always wound me up that they they couldn't be a bit more accurate. I know when they make these movies that they're after cars that they can obtain cheaply and modify cheaply because they need to make about 20 of every one because they're going to destroy them. But oh, I just wish that the people making it were more nerdy <laughs> and, and just put some stuff in. But hey... Um, like I say, there's there's all sorts of massive set pieces in this. One thing I want to highlight is this has always felt to me like a script for a different film with different characters that never got made. And they went, well, what should we do for Fast Five? Maybe we'll take this thing and kind of merge it together with some ideas we had for Fast and Furious things. And you get this completely different feel of a film. It's very much felt to me and I think there may have been rumours around the time when it was made that this story was what the Italian Job remake's sequel would have been so I'm talking about the Italian Job remake with Mark Wahlberg and Charlize Theron was always rumoured to have a sequel in development called The Brazilian Job which is a great title they (laughs) they should have made that movie I really like the Italian Job remake Whisper It um, I've watched it a lot. I think it's got lots to recommend it. But they was always this sequel rumoured called The Brazilian Job, heist in Brazil. And when Fast Five came out, it has a big heist in Brazil using cars in a similar way that they did in The Italian Job. I can't help but think that somebody just took that story and went, well, this is never going to get made. Let's chuck the Fast and the Furious crew over the top of it. And it really works. It really, really does. And they've made it, I think, probably more overblown, more silly than it ever would have been had it been the Italian job sequel, which has obviously never materialised. Mm. No one's ever confirmed that to me. I haven't been able to find anything online to say that that's actually true, but it's always felt that that's where the story came from. What else about this that can I kind of recommend somebody in one of their reviews said it was a bit like a vehicular oceans 11 and there is proper sort of oceans 11 type we need to go and get this thing to get that thing there's lots of everyone gets to play a little part gal gadot's character's part involves wearing a very 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 small bikini <laughs> um and going and fetching a handprint by allowing someone to fondle her bottom i don't know how that works uh, there's a great scene where they have to break a safe out of a building which involves remote control cars and the aforementioned motor mouth Roman Pierce. And then that leads on to the big, big sequence of basically towing a massive safe through Rio. <laughs> there is so much destruction here. It took weeks to film. They destroyed over 200 cars. Wow. They had loads of different rigs to make this work with you know a fake safe that could be driven they had a safe that was <laughs> being towed they used a kind of standard camera car kind of deal with a, a crane in a Porsche KN that's been painted matte black that gives you the kind of footage going alongside car races there's all sorts of great stuff about this you can seek out all the making of on online but they really the stunts in this are all practical I imagine there's some CG to remove wires and stuff but you feel the weight of things being destroyed and run through bus shelters and all sorts it's what makes this movie really exciting so do you think this has been the template then for everything that's followed from Fast Five Yes, absolutely. They gave up the whole street racing thing. It's now about what cars can we put them in? 
kind of cool stuff maybe which is where your uh, mark ii escort comes in in one of the sequels on from this one this feels like a year zero this is a reset i always feel like fast five isn't actually fast five it's probably just fast and furious one again and then all the ones that come on from that are just sequels to this movie um just with bigger and bigger set pieces uh so well i mean we'll do another show on other fast and furious movies maybe we can pick the most ridiculous we can pick the most ridiculous sequences but this was this is what set the temple for where we are now and even where this new Hobson Shaw movie is going, where everything has to be bigger and sillier and more extreme with every single sequel. And it all started with Fast Five. And without wishing to set a precedent, I've actually done some proper research into into some of the business around the Fast and the Furious franchise. And it's actually quite telling that every film after the Fast and the Furious down to sort of Tokyo Drift was just taking less and less money as the budgets were going up. But then from Fast Five, each one has then consecutively just made more and more money to the point that the franchise now worldwide is over $5 billion in uh, in box office. Wow. I know that this one made something in the region of $630 million worldwide uh, at a budget of 120-ish, according to Wikipedia, mm. which is a pretty good return. It was a much, much bigger hit, and they put a lot of weight behind it. The budget's going up, and the taking's going up. And Paul Walker's death mm. probably has a lot to do with that. I think Fast 7 was the first to cross a billion, and I imagine a lot of that is to do with people who have such a fondness for the franchise. Um, and for Paul Walker that they went out to see that movie multiple times. Oh, definitely. But you're right. This is this is the one where they reset the bar and went, no, this is going to take loads more money. And I think it's because it has a much broader appeal. It's an action movie. It's an adventure movie. There's some insane stunt work in it. I've barely talked about a train sequence earlier on in the movie where they jump cars out of a moving train for real. Wow. You know, they, they chose cars that they could build cheaply uh, cheap replicas of uh, but the sequence is absolutely bonkers I'll have to dig that one out I've got and I've got that somewhere on Blu-ray so I'll have to dig it out and give it another watch the other question I have from what you've said if they hadn't had that reset if they hadn't gone for a heist genre would we still be looking at Fast and the Furious 10 in a couple of years time or do you think they would have just run out of steam on the on the street racing angle I think we wouldn't have made it past Fast 4. They might have done a Fast 5, but absolutely not. There would be no Fast and Furious Hobbs and Shaw movie coming out. They wouldn't be looking at a 5 billion take. Like you say, it had run out of steam. I think the diminishing returns for more and more street racing just weren't giving them what they wanted and this was a complete shot in the arm and like I say it's all largely down to this the mad energy that Dwayne Johnson brings to his role as DSS agent Luke Hobbs the Hobbs of Hobbs and Shaw but yeah he's he's amazing through the whole thing he growls through it he's there he's constantly sweaty (laughs) even when you know even when he's indoors he looks like he could punch through a wall um, it's so much fun. It is so much fun. And this is the kind of thing where you previously, you might not have watched Fast and Furious with your family, you know, with your wife, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, whatever. You'd probably go, hey, this is a bit of a, a guilty pleasure. This, absolutely not. This is a movie you can take your friends to and go, look, just be entertained. I was chatting with a friend of mine who is not a petrol head in 
any way, shape or form. He is a big fan of Shakespeare. He's an English teacher. And he was telling me that the Fast and the Furious franchise are his guilty pleasure. He hadn't seen any of them, just not been on his radar. And then over the course of one weekend, he binged all of them. Wow. And he is so excited for Hobbs and Shaw. And this is a person who drives a ratty old car and just has no interest in cars and street racing, but he's been sucked in by the action of it all. And I think that a lot of this has to do with this movie. Like I said, I cannot recommend it enough if you like dumb, fun action movies that just happen to have cars in them. There's a good point in, uh, I think the Empire Review actually makes a, a great point about the movie nearly out Bad Boys 2 in Bad Boys 2. There's a scene at the end of Bad Boys 2, which is another movie series we should probably cover in this podcast, Definitely. Uh, which is just full of destruction, just full of uh, a car chase that where loads of things get destroyed. And I'd actually argue this is way, way better than that. But it, it has that flavor of just kind of a director going, oh my God, I can't believe I'm allowed to do this and they'll pay me. <laughs> Uh, and it is the director from Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, Justin Lin, uh, which is my way of giving you a fantastic segue into his, what is our joint favourite of the Fast and Furious franchise. Yes. And it's a, it's a curious one in the, in the franchise world because it's probably the most different. So Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, it stars Lucas Black as Sean, who you first see at high school and forget everything from every other Fast and Furious film that you've seen up to this point or pretty much beyond this point. So he's there. He gets into a bit of a to-do with the high school quarterback and they go and have an illegal race through a building site and thank God that American houses are mostly stud walls and it all shatters in a in a glorious, uh, glorious way. And they both end up in in the police station and the policeman says to them they're fine they're well connected you are going to get into trouble for this and sean's mum basically says you either go to jail or you go to your dad and live with him in tokyo so sean as this proper fish out of water with this real southern american drawl goes off to tokyo meets his dad sleeps in a wardrobe as far as I can tell, goes to school and promises not to be involved in cars and racing and all that sort of stuff. You don't need to guess what happens next. He gets involved in, in racing and cars and rather than being the street racing or the drag racing that we've seen in the previous films, this is all about drifting. Now it's worth saying that this film came out about two years after the Formula Drift series came out in the States, so it was really kind of riding that wave of drifting and Japanese cars and all of this sort of thing. And he then goes through a series of uh, events, through races, he gets lent a car, which he then trashes, and he then becomes owned by Han, who Marta's already mentioned, who's this... He's almost a bit like Rusty from Ocean's Eleven, second Ocean's reference tonight, who is... He's that very cool, very laid back, has his fingers in every pie, knows what's going on. And it's great because he can explain to the audience exactly what happens and all the nuance and all that sort of thing. I love this film because it is a car film. It's unashamedly a car film. 
there is a training montage where Sean's learning to drift. There are cameos from uh, the American stunt drivers. There are cameos from Japanese dry, uh, drifting experts. There are um, there's a garage where they all sleep for some reason, and it basically builds throughout the film and it has its um, has its climax and that there's a, a misunderstanding between characters which fortunately brings Sonny Chiba in as this Yakuza boss and it ends in a race Kelsapriz what I think is really interesting is that there's a lot of themes running through this film which some of which hark back to the first film so there's this idea of a family of misfits who are all brought together through cars in one way or another there's uh there's sean there's his love interest who drives a mazda rx8 uh all the cars as well are just the most overblown jdm proper um drift spec cars you can imagine it's all entirely kind of on brand and without cars like this, this film just wouldn't exist. There's, there would be no story to it at all. But the odd thing is, it's a real hit with people like me and me and Martin, who are car people. But it really didn't do well. So it's the lowest grossing of all the Fast and the Furious films by significant margins. So it took. Uh, let me look at the numbers here. About forty-five million dollars less globally than the first film it actually tested so badly that i won't give away any spoilers here but in order to get better audience reaction because it had done so badly in the test screenings they stuck an extra cameo on the end that was actually filmed after it was essentially finished it was a kind of a last hope to try and build a bit of interest in the in the film and it's i think it's it's a shame because it has a lot of really great elements it has that fish out of water it has the hero's journey as that's in the center of it there are a few missteps i'm really glad that they haven't gone in for a lot of the japanese cliches that you sometimes get that things are a bit crazy or things are just you know there's vending machines full of you schoolgirls underwear and all that sort of thing and the drifting that they did for real the practical effects they did look great there's some real skill on display throughout this whole film the flip side is that it makes the cgi actually look quite ropey in places and you can tell when there's an actor on a trolley and the car's being steered and and powered by somebody else it it looks quite clunky in places and believe me drifting through shibuya crossing that ain't going to happen in real life no matter what you do and you can tell that's that cgi and you kind of put that to one side there's also a really weird character dynamic in it where you've got sean as this kid who's off the rails his parents are separated his mum's at her wits end and he goes to japan to stay with his dad and the first time you meet his dad there's some comedic line about oh getting the dates wrong i thought you're coming tomorrow because we're a day ahead of you in japan and his, then his dad shows an escort, I'm guessing, out of his out of his apartment before Sean can come in. We should clarify, we mean an escort as in a, a lady of the night, as opposed to a Ford escort. <laughs> so there's this there's this dynamic between he between Sean and his dad, which is 
seems to be just there f- so that they're kind of they're both broken and he can rebel against them and there's kind of a bit of a reconciliation towards the end but it never really seems to have this sort of satisfying conclusion between the two of them it's I think it was one of those things where it needed to be there in order for the story to work but it never quite really gels however for car fans this is just it's a great capsule film it sits on its own it kind of gets brought into the Fast and the Furious trilogy uh, trilogy Fast and the Furious series later on but it never is in any way it doesn't have any backstory prior to this film it doesn't really have anything after it can just exist as this one film one of the things I love about Tokyo Drift like you mentioned is the real stunts the drifting is done by professional stunt drivers and drifters one of whom is Top Gear USA's Tanner Faust yep um Another is Reese Millen, who I think was one of the big drift champions from those early seasons of Formula Drift. Um, and there's a real joy to seeing genuine car control on display. This is why Chris and I love this film. Well, Chris loves it because he loves Japan. I love it because it's the only film, or it was the only film to date in the Fast and Furious series, to take driving seriously. Drifting requires car control. Driving in a straight line requires the ability to change gear. (laughs) And that's always been my problem with the early Fast and Furious movies and the whole concept of street racing is it requires no skill. It requires a lot of money um, and some degree of chutzpah and possibly a dirty white vest. But it doesn't require (laughs) any skill. Whereas drifting requires an enormous amount of skill, especially if you want to drift up the ramp that curves around in a multi-story car park. That's astonishing. That's one of the reasons why I love this movie, is that it's proper car control. Yes, the CG, when they obviously didn't have the budget to do the kinds of things they were doing, does look a bit ropey, but you know you get to see some quality live-action stunts. Um, one of the other things I really like about this is it kind of pays tribute to the, the skyline legend that you don't get in the earlier Fast and Furious movies, which are about JDM cars. There's a Supra in the first one. The second one, I think, does have some skyline content, but it's not proper, whereas this brings in the legendary skyline engine and puts it into an old school car. Love that. It's it, it's one of those things. Engine swaps are a big thing. They're a big part of JDM culture, and this gives you that proper JDM feel. There's There's real engineering here it's one of the cars where you kind of see under the bonnet and you go yeah that's proper and not that's just all for show there's just some neon lights and some colored hoses this thing looks like it's been done brilliantly by enthusiasts and like you say this is the the car nerds favorite of all these films i saw this in the cinema like all almost all of these movies and the scene at the end was a complete surprise to me. I didn't know that that was added in afterwards. I didn't know it was coming. Although some of the guys I was with did know it was coming. I think they'd been spoiled or something like that. And the cinema totally exploded when it happened. It, it goes to show that there was a, a a big reaction to the cameo. And I think that cameo is the reason why Fast 4 got made, which is then what why Fast 5 got made and we've already talked about how that then kicked the series into a a higher gear Mm. Um, but Tokyo Drift although it didn't make a great deal of money and was the sort of unsuccessful redheaded stepchild of the Fast (laughs) and Furious series has some of the best characters it's got Han justice Mm. for Han 
who is such a superstar. He steals every scene he's in. Like you say, he's just like Rusty in Ocean's Eleven. He's always eating. Yes. He's very cool. He's super laconic. And he acts as our guide into this world, just as Rusty does in Ocean's Eleven. And he's brilliant in all of the subsequent Fast and Furious movies he's in. He's just a very engaging character. Some about Something about the way that, that Sung Kang, the, the actor that plays him, it's just he's calm, he's never flustered, he is a zen centre in all of this madness going on in all of these movies. And, spoiler alert, he dies. <laughs> they do some weird shuffling about of timelines in later movies so they can bring him back because everyone loves him he's a brilliant character but they haven't worked out a way to undo that death and I'm really annoyed about that because they managed to undo other deaths in the franchise but they haven't brought him back and he's fantastic he's easily one of the most interesting members of um, Dominic Toretto's family <laughs> I, can't, I can't do a good I can't do a good Vin Diesel but you know you know, you know what I mean the corona drinking barbecue having family he's one of the best members he's way better than Vince <laughs> and also he has the ability to do things that might seem crazy like giving some kid he's never met a Sylvia S15 drift car and just be like yeah go do it we'll see what happens but you don't feel like it's it's a MacGuffin you don't feel like it's just there to move the plot along you feel like that it happens he's happy with it he knows what the outcome might be and there's a consequence to it. Yeah, he feels like a real guy. I, I, I can't describe what it is. He's easily the standout star of this. Lucas Black, who plays Sean, is Southern and can't drive. I quite enjoy his scenes at the start with the, the school bully jock guy. It's quite amusing and I do enjoy the stare down they have that results in this street race. But he's, he's not great in this movie. The movie's carried on on the charm of Sung Kang mm. kind of making up for Lucas Black's kind of awkwardness and I think that's quite telling with Lucas's appearances in the later films that they're they're almost cameos they're fleeting at best aren't they it's very much a device just to get us through something and probably get Lucas a nice paycheck and give the fans a nice little callback but it's one of those things where if you think, well, who would you have cast instead of Lucas? And there's probably a fairly long list we could come up with. Who would you have replaced Harm with? I think that would be a much more difficult question. We've got the answer. Brad Pitt playing Rusty from Ocean's there Eleven. There we go. But yeah, he, the, he's the he's the standout star and he's why he got that's why he got brought back for the subsequent movies. To sum up for me, the thing I love, apart from the, the actual car stunts, is Tokyo Drift feels like a fully realised world. We're just dropped into a fully realised world with its own characters and its own rules, and it requires very little explanation. Lots of it's just kind of done in little scenes, and you never question it. And I was absolutely surprised they didn't shoot in Japan. A lot, lot of it was America doubling mm. for Japan. Yeah. They they shot just enough to give it that feel but the whole thing feels like a lived in world and that's what gets you engaged yeah I think as I said I think it's a great little capsule of a film I think you can watch it on its own without any other connection to the trilogy and if you're into your cars if you're into even those teen kind of coming of age hero's journey stories there will be something in it that you will enjoy so that's it for our Fast and the Furious celebration this week before we go, 
I have one more bit of Fast and the Furious content for us. And if you are like me, into your roller coasters, into your theme parks, there is a brilliant YouTube channel that I would absolutely recommend called uh, Expedition Theme Park. It covers British, European, American theme parks, rides, past, present, future, all sorts of stuff. And they are brilliantly researched, brilliantly illustrated video documentaries about things in theme parks. And this one, the title is The Disaster of Fast and Furious Supercharged. I really should really should look up the name of the guy who does the channel. He's really good. He goes into details about the rise that came out to make space, what the technology was that went into it, what the queue line is like, what it's like at other theme parks, and he does not hold back in telling you just how bad of a ride it is. And these days, thanks to digital cameras and high ISO and all that sort of stuff, you also get to see ride footage. So it's absolutely worth go just watch the video just and because you get this view of what it could have been versus what it actually is and it's not a great car film in its own right but as a piece of the fast and furious world and really seeing what that licensing means beyond just the film just the cars all the other stuff that goes into it well well worth a watch I'm definitely going to check that out. I haven't seen this before. Uh, I don't like roller coasters. Um, I don't really like theme parks. But I like the idea of someone giving you an inside look into something that I don't think was very good. And like you say, the whole thing behind licensing and you allowing someone to use your IP and things turning out a little more unusually than you'd expect. Um, I have a feeling that in the future, me, we may want to talk about the Fast and the Furious tour that went out, mm-hmm. the live action spectacle, in a similar fashion, because I have a feeling that that crashed and burned for very similar reasons. Um, my content highlight of the week is not related to Fast and the Furious, because I couldn't think of anything. Um, but this has come out of a Twitter conversation I had Um Acquaintance of us, uh, Jethro Bovingdon, um, superstar journalist, uh, see him on Motor Trend On Demand, all that stuff's really good, uh, posted a video of some VLN footage from 2005, some in-car footage, as part of a thread on the best on boards, and it's of a car that is affectionately known as the Turbinchen. It's a 996 Turbo built by Uwe Altsen yeah. uh, and his company Altsen Motorsport to compete in the German VLN series, which is a series of races that happens at the Nürburgring Nordschleife. Uh, this was done back in 2005. I think they'd done cars before, and I think they've done cars afterwards, but this one is particularly special. It was kicking out about 700 horsepower, which is a lot in 2005. That's that's big horsepower. It left the competition for dead. And Jethro posted this on board of a crazy fast lap of the Nürburgring. We've seen some great on boards of the Nürburgring in recent years. I still go back to Kevin Estra's lap in the Porsche 911 GT3. That's bonkers fast. Um, I recently rewatched the 919 Evo lap, which is, I mean, I've already used the phrase bonkers fast. That is otherworldly fast. And that sets the bar for me in terms of on boards. But this video of a 2005 911 turbo tricked up to the nines going around in a race spec. It's brilliant. But I knew that there was a bit of footage out there that 
showed the perspective of the other drivers racing this car and I dug it out and I posted it to Jester saying this is my favourite and around 1 minute 20 in the clip you're on board with one of the other drivers racing this car as they come to do the rolling start for one of these VLN races and there's a Dodge Viper there there's a 911 GT3 and there's this Altson Turbo it's in black and silver you can't miss it massive wing on the back and they're just doing the rolling start coming off of the Nordschleife onto the main pit straight of the Grand Prix circuit at the Nürburgring and the flag goes down and the car just bucks off yeah. excuse my French there's no other word it for it disappears in the, in the length of one straight it puts five or six car lengths on everybody and it doesn't even start from the front there's a Dodge Viper there that gets dropped like third period French it's astonishing and the video continues to show it going through traffic like a hot ball bearing through runny butter it's astonishing and I highly recommend watching it because they've not done a car like it since. I think the rules have changed for VLN, so you, you probably can't have a car with such a performance advantage now. But back then, its exploits were legendary. Uh, you can find all lots of other videos. If you just type in Altson Turbinchen into YouTube, uh, we'll post how to spell that in the show notes. You'll get loads of great videos of it, but uh, there's some really good stuff out there. And Jethro mentioned it'd be really interesting to know what's happened to that car, whether or not mm. it got sold on, whether someone's still got it. It'd make a fascinating piece to know if it's still out there, if it's still quick for someone to drive it. But uh, yeah, that's my, my content highlight. It's something slightly different, not at all Fast and Furious related, but if you do like your Porsches and you're a bit of a nerd and we've already covered the fact that I am it's really worth your time well that's it for this episode if you think we've got it right or wrong on the subject of our two favourite Fast and the Furious movies then share your thoughts and opinions with us on Twitter at at AutomoviePod on our AutomoviePodcast Facebook page or email us at comments at AutomoviePodcast.com we do reserve the right of course to tell you that you are wrong if you come and tell us that Too Fast Too Furious is your favourite I can't say fairer than that. <laughs> Thanks a lot, everybody.